Have you ever played that comparison game? You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, the game sounded a lot like, well, my dad can beat up your dad, or my car is faster than your car, or my house is bigger than your house. And that constant game of comparison, it has a couple of downfalls. And that is, no matter how good you are, no matter how nice your house, no, no matter how nice your clothes, no matter how nice your shoes, someone, somewhere, is always just a little bit better. They have a little bit more, they have a little bit newer, they have a little bit cooler, whatever it is. And it doesn't matter what it is, that's always going to be true. It's also always going to be true that no matter what the bar is for, well, at least everybody should have this, everybody should have this bar will also always move. It always does. Why? Well, because the opportunity for improvement exists. And unless you take from those who have improved and succeeded and accomplished and put in the hard work and give it to those who will not succeed, accomplish, and put in the hard work, then there's never going to be exactly the same platform of equality for everybody. It just isn't practical. And leaders need to understand that, and that's what I want to talk about today on Leading Leaders. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, and I know that there's a challenge when it comes to the idea of social justice and its direct relationship to equality of outcomes. There are a whole lot of people who feel like they are those two concepts are married together, and I personally don't believe that they are. I, I will leave it to greater minds to discuss the finality of that argument, but I believe the melding of those two things together has a cultural, social, political agenda that is not based in reality, but based in manipulation. Now, I say all that to say, like I opened with, it doesn't matter how much you have, someone has a little bit more. I think about it this way. When you turn on your music listening device, it doesn't matter which platform you use, whether it's Spotify or Apple or YouTube or iTunes or whatever you use. Maybe it's just a local radio. What voices do you hear? Do you hear the eclectic voices of the masses? Do you hear song after song after song of your next door neighbor, the guy or gal down the street, the, the person who yesterday was picking up garbage and today is singing at the top of their lungs? No, those, those are not common available on those various platforms. Okay, so is that the process of the hierarchy of the platform that doesn't give them access? Or is it the popularity that would allow them to fund themselves to produce this kind of joy for you, this music? Or, or is it that just because your next door neighbor owns a guitar does not mean that their voice is worth listening to with a guitar in their hand? Because it, it seems to me that sometimes what we're really talking about is not opportunity, it's not the results, it's the talent. It's the talent. See, there's something that I do on a regular basis. In fact, we have an event coming up next Monday. Uh, it's called karaoke. And I actually get paid to bring the sound system and, and kind of prompt people to sing and give them an opportunity to grab the microphone and for some of them show off and for some of them make an absolute fool of themselves. But I would be willing to bet that if I took the best hits, if you will, of all the years that I've done karaoke events and allow them to play through your sound system, your earbuds, your headphones, into your ears, 
there's a really good chance, a high probability that, or you wouldn't like me very long because some of those people simply cannot sing. It doesn't mean that they don't want to. It doesn't mean that they don't love to. It just means they can't. They're not competent at that. Now, the irony is they may be phenomenal CPAs, incredible engineers. They might be the best administrative assistant on the face of the earth anywhere, but they simply cannot sing. If you've ever picked up a book and started to read through and about two chapters in, you realize everything in this book was actually written in another book that I read by a different title and a different author, and this is just plagiarism. Or... You pick up a book and you start to read through it and about two pages and you realize this person makes no sense at all. Their ideas are woo, off in left field somewhere and they're not very articulate. The words that they're stringing together don't even sound like sentences anybody I've ever heard talk would say. It's frustrating. It's about competence, not about opportunity. It's not about everyone should get the publishing deal. Everyone should sell their art. Everyone should produce a movie. Everyone should invent a car. If we live in a world where victim and victimizer is elevated to its highest extreme, then two things become true. Everyone at some level is the victimizer. Everyone at some level will find themselves a little higher on the income bracket, a little higher on the opportunity bracket, a little higher on the success bracket than someone. And it doesn't matter if you've always been at the bottom of the barrel from an economic standpoint or an education standpoint or a socioeconomic standpoint or a racial standpoint. It doesn't matter where you grew up. I spent quite a bit of time yesterday speaking to a guy who moved him to the U.S. from Iraq. And I asked him, what's it like for you here? Do you experience racism? Do you, do you feel like you're at peace? Are you always, you know, under the gun, if you will, of the pressures of society? And he laughed at me, and he said, no, I've been here 18 years. I own three businesses and three houses, and if it wasn't for America, I wouldn't have the opportunity that I have. I said, well, how would you compare America to Iraq right now? He said, Texas is the safest place I've ever been in my life, and I wouldn't leave it if I have the choice. Well, that doesn't sound like the description that you hear for people who are looking at America as a hostile place for anybody who's not of white skin. It doesn't sound like a place where the hegemony is pressing down on the oppressor. No, this is a guy of different color skin than mine, with a different nationality, with a very thick accent and very broken English, even after 18 years. But he owns a couple of businesses, and he owns real estate, and then he's raising his family, and he recognizes right from wrong. Our conversation started because he was arguing with a guy who had pulled up in his parking lot about a bad decision, a bad business decision the other guy had made. And for whatever reason, he felt like he needed to get that off my chest, maybe because he was standing next to my truck that said leading leaders on it. And he told me what the deal was. And I thought, you're right. That guy's making some really stupid decisions. He's doing bad business with bad ethics. And even if he's driving the most expensive Mercedes as he drives off the lot, it's evidence that his wealth is ill-gotten gain and it won't stay with him long. So is he the victim or the victimizer? Well, it turns out the individual that their conversation was about uh, is a third party and he's now in jail, uh, partly because of the guy in the Mercedes. 
Now that whole story makes you wonder who's the victim and who's the victimizer, and it's really hard to tell. And that's where we find ourselves in leadership. In leadership, it's really easy to get caught up in the social justice concepts and, again, believe that victim-victimizer, social justice is married together. And social justice, by definition, is, um, is all on its own rhetoric. If you dig into social justice and where the concept originally came from, it has its deepest roots in Marxism. In fact, Vodibakum probably does the best explanation of social justice and its meaning. I encourage you to look up his name, Vodibakum, on YouTube or any other platform and type in the word social justice. He does about an hour-long teaching on it. I think he does a phenomenal job of going back into the historicity of the phrase. But for people who equate social justice with victim and victimizer, we find ourselves in a quandary. As leaders, we feel like we've got to solve this problem. We've got to bring equality to the front. We've got to bring equity to the front. We've got to give everybody a fair chance at being successful. And to a degree, we can by giving everybody an opportunity. But let me remind you that if the quality of what you listen to through your head, headphones or earbuds or on your car stereo, if what you choose to listen to is the top song, the most popular song, the one that sounds good, the one that's pleasing to the ear, the one that's entertaining to you, then the chances are what you're listening to is the top one-tenth of one percent of all the music produced in the world. Let that sink in for a second. If you're listening to a podcast, this one or any other, then chances are you're listening to the one that appeals the most to you, not the one you were forced to listen to because, well, it's only fair that they get the equal amount of time and attention. If you're buying your dinner, chances are you're eating the food that you want to eat. Now, that may not be true all over the world. It may be that they're eating whatever they can get to sustain their life. But here in America, regardless of where you are on the scale, chances are you will eat pretty much what you want to eat. That's a strong reality. It also says, from a competence level, that we have a lot to choose from, a lot of opportunity to choose from. And those who produce have a lot of opportunity to be in that 1%. They also have the chance of being that karaoke singer that no one wants to hear in their earbuds for more than two or three seconds. They have the chance of being that book that no one wants to read cover to cover. They have the chance, the equal opportunity, to be the producer of food whose restaurant will be broke next year because no one can stand to eat what they produce. And what we find is the opportunity tends to weed out the good from the bad. Not in a good and evil kind of way, but the competent from the incompetent, the productive from the unproductive. The process itself tends to be that those of us who consume whatever it is we're eating, listening to, or wearing will tend to migrate toward the better of the category, whatever that category is. One other thing that we need to note, though, is that when it comes to equality, especially equality of outcomes, we have to look at the scale of that and say, well, in my group of friends, there are 10 of us and the average income is X. But if you take that group of people and compare them to this other group of people, we're at the bottom of the barrel in that other group of 10 people. They make a thousand times more money than we do. They have a much better house and a much better life. And 
that's not fair. Well, if you look back at my same group, group of 10 people and you compare that across the globe, here's what you need to know. If you make more than $15 an hour in the U.S., you're in the top 5% of income earners on the planet. Because at $15 an hour, you're at $30,000 a year if you're working full-time, and at $34,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of earners around the globe. So at what point do we do redistribute the wealth? At what point do we redistribute the opportunity? At what point do we accept the karaoke singer as our music of choice? At what point do we accept the plagiarized book or the unwell-written book or the unwell-founded ideas as our knowledge of choice? At what point do we see the heart surgeon who has never performed a surgery, but it's only fair that they get a chance as opposed to looking for the best of the best of the best. See, social justice, equality, equity, a victim and victimizer, they're all intertwined in a philosophy that seeks to level the playing field. Now, the challenge is when you level the playing field and everyone is equal, there's still going to have to be someone in charge of maintaining that equality, and that someone will have to be outside the system to see that. Why? Well, because societies at large, humans, globally, historically, don't maintain that level. There will always be someone willing to outwork you, someone willing to outpractice you, someone willing to put in more hours than you, someone willing to produce more than you. It will always be true that someone wants an edge. And even if you suppress their motivation or their desire to do that, you don't necessarily suppress their competence. You don't necessarily suppress their giftedness. I love the way Dr. Caroline Leaf says it. Dr. Caroline Leaf says, when you find there's that thing that you do, that behavior that you have, that trait in you that allows you to do a skill, and everybody else looks at you doing that skill, and they're like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? I've tried and I can't. But you think to yourself... I didn't realize it was that complicated. I do it with such ease, I thought everybody could. That's the skill set. That's the gift. That's the talent that sets you apart in the world. And if you can figure out what that is, this victim-victimizer thing goes out the window. Why? Because at some talent, gift, ability level, you are the one-tenth of one percent. You may not be the Tiger Woods of golf or the Michael Jordan of basketball, but you might be at writing a book, singing a song, producing music, engineering new things with a 3D printer, writing an app or creating software. You might be the one-tenth of one percent at that. And if you allow this victim-victimizer mentality to set into your life, you will never try because you will always look for the opportunity to be the victim, because there's benefit in being the victim. Let me close with this. There's actually a story in the Bible, if you're a religious nut or not, look at it. If you're not a religious person, look at it as a historical example. There's a man laying next to a pool. He's been laying next to this pool for 30 plus years. Some texts say 32, others say 37, some say 39. I've heard it taught in a lot of different ways, but let's just say more than three decades. But when the man who has the ability to tell him 
you don't have to be here, walks up. He first asks the question, do you want to be better? Do you want to live on the mat next to this pool? Do you want to spend the rest of your life laying right here, allowing people to give you money, to feel sorry for you, to pity you, to watch you suffer? Or do you want to get up and move on with your life? Which one of those two do you desire? Now, that seems like a silly question. In fact, most of us would say, well, duh, I want to get up. If I can move on with my life, let me move on with my life. Why would I want to stay here? And yet we know people, you know people, you know people personally. Maybe you even lead them. Maybe you look in the mirror at them every day. Who are unverbally willing to admit that they are martyrs. But they play the victim card very well. I can't because... If that ever comes out of your mouth, I can't because, then you better be asking yourself genuinely, is it because, or is there not a cause to it, it's just a choice. That's hard stuff right there, but if you're willing to ask that question, you're going to find yourself like the man laying next to the pool for three decades of his life. When he was asked, are you done? Are you happy? When a two-year-old throws a fit, sometimes all you can do is let him finish. And when they finish, and they're all done crying, and they're all cried out, and they still haven't gotten their way, most of the time they realize that throwing a temper tantrum didn't do anything other than make them tired and frustrated. And if a parent can wait them out, chances are that fit won't come back again. It's a really strange phenomenon. But when he asked the man, do you want to be well? Do you want to be better? Are you done with this victimized mentality? Are you done playing the victim? He said... Yeah, I'm done. I've had all of this fun I can handle. And the reply was, well, then get up. Just get up and walk away. Take your mat. Take all that stuff you've been pitying yourself with all of this time. Get up and move on with your life. Nobody's going to do it for you. Get up and move on with your life. And he did. He did. So I'm challenging you today as a leader to ask that question of those in your in your company, those in your organization, those in your realm of influence, are you done being the victim? Are you done waiting for somebody else to give you what it is you're looking for? Are you done with your tantrum? Get up. Go find that place where you are the 1%. Go find the place where you are the best in the world at something and get busy doing it. You may have to give up on that the passion to be the next rap star. Maybe that's not your skill set. Trust me, show up at a karaoke event, the crowd will let you know if you're really great or you're really not so great. Write a book, the sales will let you know if you're great or you're really not so great. The reality is, you will eventually find that one thing that you're the most talented at. And if you're not sure, right there on my website, you'll find an audio lesson called The Insuperable Vision, and it will help you to discover what it is that you are the most passionate and most competent at, and that will be the key to your success. But if you're tired of being the victim, if you're tired of being at the bottom, if you're tired of feeling like everybody in the world has taken something from you and giving nothing in return, then get up and walk away. I'm Jay Loren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell All Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day.
Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.